Hey everyone, and welcome to Behind the Box. I'm your host, Sherry, and we'll be interviewing passionate people who are on top of their game, discussing all things workplace culture and diving a little deeper into thought-provoking topics we think you'll love. We truly hope it makes a positive difference to your life, business, or workplace. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, I am so excited to get this episode out. I was really lucky to spend some time with Andre while he was down from Adelaide. He shares his story very openly and authentically. You'll hear about his new purpose and new mission with The Good Empire. There's lots of laughs and a lot of deep moments of reflection. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. I wanted to start off by giving a bit of context as to how I actually know you. Yes. So last year I met you at United Co when you came and you basically told your story to maybe 30 or 40 or 50 people. Yep. And it was probably one of the most raw and vulnerable like presentations or stories I've ever heard which is why I'm super excited to speak to you today and be able to like share your story as well. Um, and I have to say, I remember I was sitting right at the front. I always go right to the front. Like I just want to be totally focused in on the presenter. And I remember by the end of it, I don't know what you said, but I was like looking around and I was like tearing up and I'm like, oh great, you chose to sit at the front. So I was just like holding it in and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to get through this. (laughs) Um, so that's how, that's how authentic and real you are. And you just don't hide anything, and I just really respect that. So, because you've got a corporate background, don't yeah, you? yeah. Corporate, so yeah. you think it's because? Because I sort of just feel like that's what most people do now. But no. I'm not in the corporate world, so that's probably what you've come from. And gone, yeah. oh my god, who's being so human? Maybe. That's... Yeah, like why is this person I, I so real? Yeah, and it was because it was maybe only a month after I left Telstra or something like that. So I was just like working out my life, and. You go up there and you just like, you, yeah, it was just so raw and so honest. Um, and sometimes because people don't share everything, you feel like you're alone in a lot of things. Yeah, But yeah, sharing yes. that, you know. And then when, you, when then when you hear something like that, you're just like, oh, okay, like we're just all human. Like, because when people look at you and um, know who you are, another thing that I've noticed about you, you're so humble. So one thing I've picked I'm up so awesome. far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, yeah. I take that back. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, and he's hilarious. Um, but yeah, you're so humble because I've also noticed that you don't associate yourself with like being the ex CEO of Inamofo or the co founder of Inamofo. Like, obviously, that's a huge part of your life. But when you're talking to people, like I've heard some of your podcasts, like I listened to a few and have been um, looking at your socials and everything. And even in that space, you're not really saying, you know, ex-CEO Vino Mofo or co-founder Vino Mofo. Is there, is there a reason why you do that or you just think like that's, that's not part of my life now and so I'm not sharing that? Because obviously, like when you say that, there's a whole identity that comes with that and also popularity that comes with that because people want to hear your story, how you did it, just because the brand is so well-known. Yeah, I think, look, it's part, it's, it's a massive part of my story, right? Mm. And, and a massive part of my identity. But, um, but it's kind of, you know, I guess I'm, now I'm telling the story of 
what I'm doing now and what I'm passionate about now. And, you know, it really was, I really did come out of that going, oh my God, I think the culture of business is broken and we need to change it. And I want to be doing something just uncompromisingly connected with changing stuff in the world that needs to be changed. You know, um, mm-hmm. anyways, with Vietnamopo, I think I had an opportunity to try to do it by example, to be a good company or a good culture or a good brand that looked after its customers and tried to do things well and give back. But um, but I think, which is good, like you can yeah. only try what do, do what you, you can do. You do what you can in the um, environment. But I think I was sort of starting to see, oh, no, we also need to just be, people need to be not just doing stuff that makes them money and then giving back through the things. That's good. That's better than nothing. But mm-hmm. we need to be making sure that what we're doing and the offering we have is good for the world. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think, you know, I, I know that I'm not saying that wine is bad for the world or what we were doing was bad for the world. It's balanced, right? Mm. Wine ruins people's lives and wine can be and wonderful. it can be a great night. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I'm not saying it for that reason. I think just more directly that um, this in the DNA to be, I guess we got, I just felt like, God, we've got to, change. Banks mm, need to change. Mm, Telstra needs to change. Everyone needs mm. to change in that they're uncompromising on, you know, and it's starting to happen in a massive way. So I've been excited by that. Yeah. But that's why it's, uh, I guess it's not a, it's not a hiding or even wanting oh, to leave something behind. Thing that you're doing. I guess yeah. you invest in this new, wow, now I'm Andre and this is good empire. And that's what I wake up every mm, morning in love with. And mm. that's what I want to talk about. Mm. And I still, I still, you know, people still, if I do a talk on stage, people are still like, Expecting <laughs> some story there, and I yeah. think it's it just that part of the story becomes something that got me to where you are now. To here, right? Yeah. Um, and before we jump into that as well, I remember I think it was maybe one of your videos or something you wrote or something you said, but you were talking about how you when you first started, you were at your desk and you just were all of a sudden you were looking for busy work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then you're like, okay, what am I doing? Like, why am I trying to be busy? Like, And then all of a sudden you realise, actually, this is masking the fear of something, starting something new. And this is what I was getting at with being so humble because it, you were saying that, okay, I've, I've built up this business, obviously with Justin, a $100 million business, and I'm still a human. I, I'm still feeling these things, starting something new alone in a co-working space. So before we get into all of that, I'm, I'm super keen. That was to... hard. That was not easy to do and to, oh. to be public about and write. Because you do yeah. you sit there and go, God, surely people expect a bit more of this. And then I, and, and I wasn't just feeling like, you know, distracted or, or unsure. I was really lonely mm. and really felt like I was alone with this. Mm. I think I just, I just thought, oh, God, if I'm feeling this. Yes. Imagine what everybody that's attempting <laughs> to do this for the first or second or third time yes. hasn't. I mean, I have, I have the, the, um, the foundations of to draw on to go, come on, Andre, you'll be right. You build a $100 million business, you know. Mm. Um, so that... Uh, but it still didn't make it because you're still on it by yourself. And I did heaps of things wrong with Vino Mofo mm-hmm. and heaps of things right. And you tend to, in those moments, over-amplify the things yeah. you did wrong. And you go, oh, God, am I fraud? Was that just yeah. lucky? Why am I struggling with this? I shouldn't. And almost having done it before, and I bet if you ask 20 founders doing something the second time, mm. I bet they would share this. 
doing something again and having done something successful before, you put more pressure on yourself and you can't understand why you're feeling any vulnerabilities yeah. or any unsurenesses or, but of course you do. You don't like, yeah. I guess think of it like a relationship, right? Yeah. You have one relationship in the last True. three years and yeah. great. You don't suddenly then, God, <laughs> I should be better at this. No I've had a relationship. Like, yeah. You know, everything's different and everything's, yeah. I think if you put your heart into it, you care about it. We're just human. Yeah. And there's equal parts lost. So for me, I was going, all the dialogue that someone wouldn't have had if they hadn't had that experience before. Like, God, I'm used to having 120 people around. Mm. I'm used to having people to do I'm doing everything Bands myself. But yeah, yeah. And so I had none Energy. of that. And so in a way, mm. it was even, but it was equal parts. So, you know, the week before, I was really like, God, this is, I love learning new things. And I love doing all the things. Yeah. But I think that's, I started a column, I don't know if you've read it, called Dear Human. And it's um, in partnership with Smart Company and Startup Smart. Mm -hmm. Because I was really like, I think this is a problem. Like, I think people need permission to be human. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah, afraid and vulnerable. And in the moment doing that. Because what a lot of people do, like I think you said this as well, is it's great that, you know, it's great when people have built up this amazing company and are successful and then they reflect in hindsight. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah and, and so that's doesn't, what... It doesn't take a lot of courage different. to do that. Yeah, right? and so what, what I really respect is that you can... You have done that in the moment. And I think that is really courageous because it's so... You're, it's just such a vulnerable place to be in. It so. was, and it was terrifying hit send. It was really empowering mm. to write it. Mm. But it was really frightening to hit send. Because mm. remember, I was also stepping into a business where I was trying to say to people, hey, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Give me money and I'll help you transform your business. Mm. Suddenly mm. I'm going, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. And, and, and yet Even knowing that the next phone call <laughs> yeah. I have to make with mm. them or the next thing is saying, hey, you should trust me. Yeah. You should give me 30 grand and I'll help transform your business to be a business for good and I'll build your brand and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. So I was really like, this is, is this also stupid to yeah. be so transparent? Yeah. But I think... I think not only at a time, I yeah. think I've just decided to live. And this was the other thing coming out of it. If you're in a big organisation, you would know this with Telstra. Mm. I'm sure people at Telstra generally want to do the right thing. Yeah. But it's really hard with 3,000 employees or whatever, right? Or 15,000 employees. Yeah. It gets harder and harder mm. to, um, to be uncompromising mm. with, as people grow and as more people have things and more fears and more whatevers, right? Mm. And so I think I really decided, God... I'm, I'm free of that now, so I get to be uncompromising. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote out values, and they were truth, arms wide, for the good. Arms wide as in total vulnerability, surrender, mm. open, don't hide anything, full transparency. Yeah. And truth, just tell the truth all the time, not nuances, not the truth that is still works in sales. or You know, yeah. not just fucking truth. Yeah. Sorry, can I swear on the podcast? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> just... Yeah. So I was really like, I was really like, well, live it, Andre. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be like... Yeah, just do what you're saying that you believe in. Do the thing that you're saying you believe in. You know, I I don't want to... Like, you know, we had a session of mentoring you, right? Yes. And I'm I'm probably saying most of the time, just Mm. have courage, be really connect with the truth of what you're doing. And, you know, and then I go and go, well, yeah, what the truth is Mm. that I'm feeling unsure and vulnerable. Oh, I better not share that because I bet like no. It might make me. I didn't want to do that. Yeah, look, yeah. Might make me weak, or might look like I'm not do- know what I'm doing. And I kind of thought all that stuff runs yeah. through your head. Yeah. I kind of just think that um, if you're going to choose Andre to lead in this mm. space, and you're going to be preaching this, you need to lead with it, not instruct it and then hide it to keep it yeah, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's what. I do. And it's been and hard. Like, it's it. been fascinating. 
It's been equal parts glorious starting something new and times where I've felt so connected and ideas lock and you just explode with joy that this is what you get to do with your life. Mm. And days when you're like, oh, God, this is hard. <laughs> or and when you're writing that Nothing seems media to post. work. I've got no <laughs> money. To, you know. Yeah. And then you go, oh, now I've got, it's all connected. And everyone goes through this. Yeah. Exactly. It's really, I think it means that I am a much better mentor now. It's not mostly what I do, but now than I was before this because I can really empathise. Mm. Not not I remember what it was like, mm. but like, yes, You're I felt the again. same like yesterday. Yeah. You know, I think that's, um, yeah, I think that's a really nice thing. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I want to talk about The Good Empire as well. Cool. But before we go into that, I want um, you to tell us your story. Right. Um, it's a big story, but feel free to start where you think feels right. How long do you want the podcast to be? <laughs> How long we've got. No, we no, honestly. Use... Like, all right, all right. No, go for it. Like the whole story. Um, start, yeah, start from when you were young. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Just the journey of Andre. Who is Andre and what's his journey? Okay. So Andre, I was, um, I guess I was sort of high school. I had a really big awakening where, I, I probably haven't told this story before. I'm taking it a little bit further back because you said we had like forever. So love it, love it, love it. We're so, going to get the juicy stuff now. Um, so I was like, you know, primary school, so I don't think there's often a lot of peer pressure and identity stuff going on in primary school, right? Mm. Kids, you just kind of get on with it. And I guess that was my experience anyway. That's probably arrogant to say that. But I sort of like just primary Back school then was great. It was like and, that. Maybe you know, was, yeah. Mm. And I sort of got through and then got into high school and suddenly I was a bit younger for my year than everyone else. But suddenly everyone starts talking about like in year seven, right? They're talking about like, there's a few new people, so new dynamics. But they're the same friends that used to just be, like we used to talk about, you know, soccer and ham yeah. handball and stuff. Yeah. And, and then they were well, talking about sex. And I remember it was like, back then it was like um, AIDS. It just, and, so people, and I didn't know what any of this stuff was, mm. right? So I'm like, and I, I just suddenly was like, I don't know why everyone's talking about this stuff. Like, mm. I can't relate. And not only that, and people started to be mean. Mm. And like mean to me and gang up and people. And I was like. Who are you people? Like, Your friends? We were just, from yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And like like li weird. lifelong friends. And I was really like yeah. So it was that first sort of change in peer interaction, um, starting to shape status, mm. right? Mm. And I remember thinking, and everyone was starting to pretend to be to know what AIDS was and pretend to be cool and pretend to wanna you know, everyone was just trying to fit in with a few leaders. I remember thinking I don't want to pretend that. I mean, that's dumb. Like, that's not me. I felt really intimidated and out. I just didn't feel like I fit with them at all. So I found a couple of new friends who were nerds like me, which yeah. hung out in the library and played Dungeons and Dragons and read books and talked about stuff that we related that you to. Liked. And we weren't better. We were just different. And um, because I left that cool group. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Why do you think that you didn't mould yourself into? being part of a cool group or trying to be different or trying to fit in? Like, what do you think it was about you that was, like, actually... That's a very mature thing to do in high school when you're trying to make friends. Oh, look... Oh, is it just in your DNA? Like, is yeah, it what you good taught? There's good and bad, right? Yeah. There's probably somewhat a lack of empathy in there that <laughs> leads to that. But I think yeah. I have always struggled. So, you know, you try and figure out, like, oh, I'm a lot older than you, but you try and figure out through life what your 
values are. You're trying to figure mm. out what your superpower is. Like, what is it that I that really is the thing that is strong in me that I should really go with? Mm. And I think for me that was always truth. Yeah. And that manifests badly, right? Don't get me wrong. Right? Some, there's a lot of people going, mm. you don't have to be, like, really truthful about everything, Andre. <laughs> that person doesn't need to know <laughs> the, the truth of what you think about them, you know, or whatever, right? So yeah. it's not always great. But I, but I think that's, like it or not, yeah. that was always in me. Yeah. Um, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't, it was a simpler matter as well. I just didn't like them and I didn't like the vibe and I didn't like being yeah. treated meanly. I didn't yeah. understand why they were, I didn't get them anymore. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't feel like I belonged. Mm -hmm. So I found other people that I did feel like I belonged with yeah. and that was really nice and we found our place and we all do this, right? We seek yeah. belonging. But anyway, what that did, because I then got targeted and so I was bullied like bad, like we throw the word bully around, like I was bashed every day at high school and by most of the school. And so it just became a thing, Andre became, mm -hmm. and I was, because I, didn't shut up either mm. and take it, I just prolonged it for like mm. five years. So I had a really shit high school life, but I was really smart, but I disrespected just society altogether. I just thought people are shit, like people are mean. And so yeah. I went to my little group of friends and I just yeah. sort of was like, I, gee, I, I, I just was like, I don't like the world mostly. Yeah. As a few smart people that I like and we're nerds and this is great. Yeah. So that was sort of, that really shaped me badly, I might mm. add, because I, I really left that and spent a long time in life, and I'll get back to it, mm. but thinking that most people were pretty shit. Yeah, I can see how you'd think that if you're right. getting bashed every day. But it's not right, because what it stops you from doing is realising that you, you can't There's connect. Other people, yeah. You have to love and you have to see yeah. what people are going through. If I had back then been able to look at mm. someone bullying me and just seen that they would... I would have seen in their eyes, I don't really want to be doing this. But if I don't, then I'll get bashed. So I'm going to do it too, Andre. Sorry. Mm. And other people doing, I'm afraid of you, Andre, because you make me feel stupid. Mm. And so I'm going to bash you. If I'd seen all of that, I would have much better navigated this yeah. time, right? But I wasn't empathetic like that. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, I know, I was like 11. But, but, I, but, yeah. but, but, you know, I wasn't always 11, right? I didn't see that at 16 either. And it's just, so anyway. Mm. So I went through high school, wondering what I was going to do. Left, um... Just wanted to be in business, so I studied economics, accounting, which doesn't make direct yeah. sense. But there wasn't like a business course yeah. back then, not, not like Macquarie Uni. There wasn't really even marketing course that came the second year I was at uni. It was the first marketing course. So it was really yeah. nothing. I wanted to do business. It was commerce or law, or like, which was odd. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I did, um, did economics, accounting. Didn't love it, but found it not particularly difficult. Mm -hmm. Left in year two to start a business with my dad. Mm -hmm. And which was an odd decision because I'd been kicked out of home when I was 16 and he was sort of violent alcoholic and didn't handle so the broken up marriage. So did you have contact with him from 16 to when you saw him again and decided to start a business? Not a heap. Not a heap. Okay, okay. <laughs> a, a bit. This is why you're saying yeah, yeah, it was a, a bit. bit of an odd decision. Yep. Well, I think we, we started two more and I think yeah. I was just like, yeah, dad's, dad's, um, dad was an MD of a, of a company, successful company and he wanted to start and I was just like, yeah, let's do it. And I think I was just caught up in that reparations and building yeah. a family empire and I thought that was really cool. I thought yeah. I was really smart. And connecting with your dad again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we did that and I was just a train wreck. Mm. I was naive and made stupid decisions. just didn't know enough about business. He was a mess and a shadow of himself and it just mm. was so bad. So that was my first experience in business. It was like... You know, it was like emotionally catastrophic. What was, was the what was the, what was the business that it was? Started? It was like um, it was like uh, we imported and then sold 
the fragrance material that goes in products like okay. shampoos and yep. soaps and perfume and other things, but yep. the actual raw fragrance. Yep. Yep. So we had a, we had the agency set up for a German company and we imported the things. And then and I did some fun stuff, like I created the first line of... Um, uh, they were it's not great because they were synthetic um, uh, essential oils, but like which meant they were cheap enough, and I got them yeah. into all the supermarkets. So really, sort of. So launched. you did, to, yeah. So you did do, do some key things, but you just think overall the business oh, it, it, that didn't work out. No, it was but, awful, and financially mm, didn't work out. And it was mm. just horrific. So I ended up leaving that, and um, I'd been an actor as a child, just in some shows and stuff. And I saw the ads. Coke ad. Yeah, well, that was in yeah. high school, right? Yeah. So yeah, and then I left that, and then so I sort of went, oh god, I've got to escape. Sydney yeah. and dad and this whole world it's awful mm. so I went back I rang up my old acting agent and I said right, I'm getting back in please get me a job and please make it somewhere yeah. else in the world and yeah. so and he did and literally within five weeks I got a job on a on a show that was filmed on the Gold Coast a new show it was called Pacific Drive and I went great I'm just going to take that so yeah. I left Yeah. so I left and I spent a couple of years up on the Gold Coast filming this shit TV show yeah. but with nice people it was an yeah. interesting experience and I started you know I'd been singing with bands so I started doing that and recording some stuff and that was an escape life and I came back to Sydney um, not to the family another part of Sydney and um, so I was sort of mid-twenties by this stage, right? So um, just started singing in, in, in bands and trying to get acting work. But I was a pretty bad actor. Mm. Like I was not, not but not a bad good. singer? No, I was a good singer. Um, okay. But no, no, I was, I was a good singer and yeah. sang in some great covers bands. So can we, if we Google you, can we find some of your songs? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, I never, I never cracked it with originals. Okay. I tried, but and I, it's really interesting. I, I realised that. Um, but did you have you recorded any of your stuff, even if it's not original? If it's yeah, yeah, original? but it's not online because nothing was online then. Like there was no online. Oh, true. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. uh, so, this is pre iTunes or yeah. anything. Um, yeah. So I've got CDs of oh, demos nice. in my. Cupboard. Maybe you need to like put them put them on the internet. Well, somehow. funny enough. Yeah. Funny you say that. I. Um, just found a big box of all my music, like oh, nice. you know, uh, sheet music and lyrics and yeah. chords and everything. And I've got a music room at home because I still play. And um, I started, pulled out a few songs. I went, wow, that's awful, that's awful. Well, that's good. And I started play- and I started recording some <laughs> stuff. It was really fun. And I was like, because I've been thinking to myself, I want to start a band again. Not to have like a rock career, but For get fun. a bunch of old guys like me together who just want to have but fun. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but just want to have fun with it and, yeah. and just do like a soul band. Yeah, um, awesome. Which would be fun and play like once a month or once every two months and yeah. book a spot and get 300 friends in and just have fun with the music. Yeah. I've really been craving so that. So they're good empire band. We'll look out for that maybe. Well, well uh, but what's been interesting, so, and I'm <laughs> yeah. jumping around okay. a bit, is that yeah. okay? No, yeah, it's good. Um, I think now... Like, there's a sound that I didn't exist then, but it wasn't of that time. So the sound that I always wanted to create and loved is funny enough, actually, like, now, it's like Teskey Brothers and Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats and just fucking cool blues soul that I love. I don't know that music, but I feel feel uneducated now. Well, I'll replace them in a sec. So I sort of feel like, oh, God, if only this sound had been then. Yeah. Because the songs are... There's plenty, enough good songs and great musicians. We just didn't have a sound that was a sound of them, yeah. or even an original sound. Um, and here's another funny thing: so because I had sung in covers bands, 
I found it really hard to find my original voice when I sang. Mm. I literally, what fucking accent do I use? Mm. You know, what do I... Because we think, oh, that should be natural. It's not. We emulate Americans. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Or, or, we, or we emulate, you know, Paul Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Or it's sort of... It's a funny thing. to, And if you don't... And it's only... Um, it's only probably about five years ago when I think I truly started to find myself. That this in, voice in, in, your, in your voice as a singer or overall? No, when I started finding myself yourself. properly as a human, yeah, connecting human. with yeah. me and purpose and not, you know, and really yeah. starting to explore that, I think my voice just dropped in. It was really yeah, interesting. Wow. And that's so, anyway, that's a departure. Because you can just feel like it's almost, because it's, an, it's a way of expressing yourself, obviously, it's when you found that, it's just well, it is that a, art form. Funny that I always had found my voice writing, because I've always written as well, um, well, it's probably not true. I just found my words writing, but much, much seemed more organic mm. than, than singing. Mm. It's funny. So anyway, where were we? So uh, we band, bands and bands, acting and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, so broke. Um, but And I started going, I want to do something with business again. So um, got a few friends together and created a theatre production company and really was like, oh, we want to change the face of theatre in Sydney. And, and so we were like, no more, like all of our friends are acting in co-ops and getting no money. And, you know, um, you know, we just, they'd do a play and downstairs of such and such and, you know, they'd, to share the profits, but they would have drunk more beer than profits. And so nobody, it was all, I was like, these are great talented people. They deserve better than this. Yeah. So we put on a play, booked out the Sydney Theatre Company, Wharf Theatre, and, um, and got a sponsor and did a massive marketing campaign, hired a professional international director, paid proper salaries to all great actors yeah. and put on this show. Like so a, how did you do that with, because you were doing the acting singing, yeah. how were you able, did you like raise money to do that? Yeah, yeah, we got sponsorship. Okay, yep, yep, yeah. yep, okay. You know, okay. Was, that makes sense, yep. Yeah, I had a bit <laughs> so of time. So I was like, how? And people yeah. weren't falling over themselves to employ me as an actor, so I had a bit of time. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we, um, we did this and it was kind of, Really exciting and great, and we thought this. Oh, this is not it. Got yeah. press. And I remember we had opening night, and it was sold mm. out. Well, it was opening night, so it was sold out. But um, the next day there was a half-page ad in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, a re- review in yeah. the Sydney Morning Herald, and it was really glowing. Uh, awesome. Like it was really. We we're going wow. Yeah. And then so next night sold good out, words. and the first week sold out, and we're like, oh, this is good. One we're here. All. We're theatre yeah. production. We're theatre yeah. producers. Yeah. And then um, second week not so much sold out, and third week yeah. like thirty percent houses yeah. and then fourth week like nearly no one and the actors went on strike because we couldn't afford to pay oh, no. them oh, and then no. fifth and six weeks cancelled <laughs> and we ended up saddled with like 90 grand's debt and a oh, terrible reputation among peers and friends just going oh because it's like mm. it's so weird the way this works so these actors who were like oh we're so excited that you guys are doing this this is amazing mm. for the industry this is mm. what we need then sort of as it got going and they're doing the work there's something like oh you're professional now and then as soon as things started going wrong it was all like well we're going to go on strike and we're going to sue you for not paying we're like but Mm. like and yes I know but there was no sort of sense of hey we know you tried we can't do it for nothing it was just like we suddenly became evil producers yeah you know they took the human out of yeah 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 they did I remember really being stunned by that and really scarred scarred me so this is like hit number two yeah um I had also um so yeah so then we were like, God, what do we do? And two of the other producers dumped us in it. And my friend Alison and I went, well, we want, we want to pay everyone back. We want to keep yeah. our reputation intact. And even though they're all slaying us now, if we 
make sure everyone gets paid exactly what we agreed yeah. to pay them, then we can at least hold our heads high. So yeah. we became an events production company. So we started producing corporate events yeah. until we paid everyone back. And then we're like, okay. You're you know, done. You're like, done, done with this corporate stuff. So then, um, yeah. and I had in the meantime started my own band, like covers band. And we were like a corporate band and we were doing stuff. But again, I just was like, I want to pay the musicians what they deserve to be paid, and that's 200 bucks a night. Mm. And yet I was only getting paid whatever we were getting paid. I just thought it'll work itself out. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it didn't, so I ended up like owing, like getting into <laughs> debt with the band and owing that and thinking and juggling and falling further behind. It was just crap. So Can the, I ask, can I, sorry yeah. to interrupt your flow, but... So that happened like that situation, like that was like the strike two, right? So you got into that financial debt yeah, when you with your dad. Yeah. Then the second production company. Yeah. So that's it. So how, you, how so did yeah, you do I, it? Like, how were you not afraid? I was. It I, was, but you just did it. I didn't have many alternatives, right? Well, so you, you do, but you, but you, yeah, you I, people do, but that was it, it's interesting that your personality is just like I'm just going to do it because this is I what I need to be about. doing something I care about. Yeah. And also, exactly. I think I always was always driven by I want to make something of my life. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so yes, I was, and not to over glamorize that. That was like whatever that was. Like it's not particularly glamorous mm. wanting to be, you know. No, I think it's important to do stuff actor. you care about. Well, I think even yeah, if, and I, I definitely want to do that. Even if that was a period of time. And you mm. serve, so you're in this. It sort of falls into it. Like I, I didn't probably have dreams of being a theatre producer, but suddenly you're an actor and you mm. with a bunch of people, and you sort of see how you might be able to do something cool with this. Mm. But it was hard because it was also like, it was just like from uni right through. I'd never had a moment without like massive debt. Yeah. And I was making good money as an actor for a couple of years, but that helped me pay back previously. Mm. So, yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so, the third failure. So, the booking agent ended up offering to buy the band or take the band off me, and they would inject a bit of capital, change the pay that musicians yeah. less, charge more for the gigs, and yeah. balance it back. So, I had no choice but to do that. So, I did that. So I was sort of like, oh, shit, that's three failures. And, um, and so then I ended up getting a job in the call centre of, like, Cellar Masters, a wine company. Because mm-hmm. they used to employ actors and, like, out-of-work actors. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I just will do that. I need, like, just need my 400 bucks a week. Yeah, to, you just need to, to get live. by. Yeah. And, um, and I'll figure out what I want to do. Yeah. So I did that. I was doing that. And it was quite fun. Yeah. It was quite like, oh, I've got no responsibility. I can just yeah. walk up and do this. And I quite liked yeah. I went through their wine education courses and I was like, well, this is great. Mm. I'd already liked wine and been drinking wine, but that was like a levelling up. But anyway, I decided that I, what I wanted to do was be a filmmaker and a director. So um, so I, and I by then met my how wife, did you Jody. How did you come up with that? Well, I'd been writing. Okay. I'd been script writing yeah. a bit. And the theatre production company was like, oh, I'd always had the idea, but I, I was always there, mainly because yeah. I'd been writing films yeah. and scripts and stories and a few episodes of TV shows, you ah, know, okay. like yeah. getting paid for that. Yeah. So I was a writer, so I was like, oh, I've got some movies to make. Yeah. Well, I want to, I think I'll be a good director. Yeah. And I think I'll be a better producer than I was. So I just wanted to do that, but I felt like, because um, I'd met my wife and um, I was like, um, I'm too, I, I'm too old to go back to film school and be mm-hmm. a student for three years. Mm-hmm. So I'll just take a year off. She was an actor and she was um, she was in a show, so mm-hmm. she was, like, employed. Yeah, um, but balanced out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, she, and we, yeah. we made a deal that I would just take a year to learn yeah. how to produce and direct films and write scripts and try and get them funded, and she would support us yeah. for that time. 
so we did that and that was a good plan but um we I, I quit and then um we bought a house yeah and she bought a mortgage yeah bought a mortgage <laughs> in sydney and it was really an exciting time because oh finally yeah. we're getting ahead right? yeah yeah and then three days after we settled on the mortgage um she her show got axed so um we were both unemployed and i was like oh fuck come on it's like going back to square one so i was like and you know jody was you know understandably stressed out about this and i wanted to make things right so i um had a dvd that um that a friend of ours was a he was a composer and he had uh scored the the, the music for and it was like a DVD that showed off like beautiful aerial footage of South Australia, and and it was like it was a DVD made to 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 pitch this as a, Australia and South Australia specifically as a place to film for American film companies to come make their movies, right? Yeah. So I um I grabbed that and I drove it up to the Hunter Valley and I went into the um, Hunter Valley Tourism Wine Wine Tourism Office, and I had heard from another friend that someone we went to primary school with was head of marketing there. Yeah. And I was like, that's an, in, that's an in. So I asked to speak to her and she's like, hey, yeah, Andre. I, I said, that. thanks so much for seeing me. I'm, yeah. you know, hey, I've got this, so what are you doing? Yeah, I've got it, that's why I'm here to see you. I've got a video yeah. production company and we do this sort of thing. And I showed And this it. is like going to be your first gig, right? Yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. know what I was doing. I didn't have a camera, I didn't know anything. I hadn't had my year yet to learn how to film make. Um, I had like a, a week. Uh, so yeah. I handed her the DVD and she played it. She's going, oh, that's amazing. I'm going, yeah. And she's going, like, it looks expensive. I'm yeah. like, no, no, there's, there's, there's tricks we can do. You know, um, it's not so expensive. Why, what can you afford? <laughs> and anyway, it worked really well. And she's like, well, let's do it. And I was like, yeah. great. And so um, she agreed to an upfront deposit. And I drove back to Sydney and bought a secondhand camera and yeah. some, like, Adobe Premiere uh, editing software. And that was it. As I went back to my wife and said, "Hey, we started my video production company," and so we, and that was how it started. Yeah. And so then I became a video production person, but not making films, but corporate videos. Yeah. And in wine, and that's how I sort of got into wine. So, you know, I I filmed that job, and it was good. And um, can you tell us the story? Of how you found that guy in the plane and you had to oh, take... Yeah. Can you please tell that story? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I... Because this DVD was, like, professionally made, right? And it was beautiful. And it had all these aerial shots of, like, you know, Flinders Ranges and the Kangaroo Island. And yeah. and I'd sold them on that. And they're going, oh, can we get one of these aerial yeah. shots? I've got a course. Yeah, like, aerial's like the thing. And so when it yeah. came to delivering the job, I'm like, well, I better do the aerial shot. And so I'd, I go, I don't know how to do this. So I'd rung a film hire company, like a gear hire company in Sydney and gone, hey, so, you know, when they do the helicopter shots, how do they, how do they get those? Yeah. They go, yeah, it's like a gyro mount. And you like, so it's a remote control and you just mount the camera on the gyro mount in the front of the outside of the helicopter. And then you activate it from inside and you let the helicopter. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, how much is that to hire? I'd like to hire one. Yeah. And they're like, it's like 10 grand a day. And I was like, this was a five grand And job. how much budget? Yeah. Yeah. I, five grand was what I was getting paid. Never mind the budget. So I was like, well, that's not going to work. So, um, so I went up there and I ended up speaking to like a joyride uh, <laughs> operator. Yeah. And he, he was like, I was like, hey, have you ever filmed stuff? Can you, he was like, no, but Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And he was like, no, this would be great. And, and you got to show me, okay, we can take the door off. And um, you want to get out of the struts. So we can just do, we'll get a couple of belts, a couple of seat belts, and we'll tap them together. You'll be right. You just lean out so you're a nice, clean shot. And I'll take you down off the Broken Back Mountains. And we'll get, and I was like, okay, okay. You had to and, now, like you had committed to it. And I just so then found myself, like a couple of days later, hanging outside this helicopter strapped in with the camera gaffer taped to oh. my hand because I couldn't stop shaking. 
because I'm terrified of heights. So I'm oh just flying God. down over the Broken Back Mountains just going, oh, shit! Like... And it literally was like... It was, was, it, it was fucking yeah, terrifying. Yeah, that is so That's, scary. Gosh, just going, what are you doing? Do you have any okay. photos of you doing that? No. Damn I know. I've got the footage. Um... So yeah, anyway, that was that. But we did it and we delivered it. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And but what that led you? me yeah, that led me to be um become like a video guy for the wine industry. Because mm. you know, wineries saw the video and they went, Oh, can we get one of those? And it was pretty early in the content days, so yeah. Anyway, that's what I did. So I found myself being like a video production company or punk company, a guy, a video person for the wine industry. Yeah. So that was sort of how I got in the wine industry. I've been doing that for a while. We moved to Adelaide, my son was born and so I was sort of like, ah, oh, just, and it was hard. Like, it wasn't, you know, we had to sell the house because oh, I wasn't making enough money to pay off a mortgage. And um, we moved to Adelaide and that was a bit cheaper, but um, didn't make any money on selling the house. So it's really just kind of getting by. And I was really like, okay, I need to kind of, I need to set something up here, right? Mm. I can't just keep doing this. I feel like I'm just like, a, I'm doing a job. I'm getting paid for the job. I'm having to find another job. I'm doing the job. I'm getting paid for the job. Yeah. It was a cycle and I needed to. Anyway, so I started thinking about what I might do, and I came up with this idea of um, a website for wine where people could rate and review wines, and someone could go and look up a wine, and you would have other wine drinkers that would have told you yeah. what it's like, which, you know, now exists everywhere. Yeah. Like, whatever. For everything as well. TripAdvisor, yeah. you know, yeah. but, um, but then it was, wasn't around. Yeah. So I thought that would be a really good idea. So I started working away at that. Um, my brother-in-law, Justin, uh, had come back from a trip overseas, and he had... Um, he discovered Facebook because this was exactly then. It was 2006. Yep. I still got a little note that where I first had my first idea for this thing, you know. Um, wow. Uh, and uh, it was going to be called The Wine Gallery because I had done um, my video production company was called The Vision Gallery. I was like, oh, I'll do The Wine, wine gallery. gallery. yeah. And not that it was anything remotely relating to the video company, but anyway. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was right. yeah. I, I, I then changed the name to, it was going to be Red Cellar and I started yeah. working on this thing called Red Cellar. And, um... And then just at the same time discovered Facebook, he'd had this idea to um, to start like a Facebook for wine. So we were just chatting one Christmas Eve about um, what we might, well, oh, I've got this new idea and blah, blah, blah. And he's saying the same thing. And and our ideas, though, we sort of thought we would describe them differently, were kind of exactly the same thing. It was yeah. like a social community for wine. And so that was a bit one of those moments where we were both like, Oh, we've both got the same idea for something. Yeah. And so we were, and because we were a bit, um, a bit pissy and it was Christmas Eve, we were like, hey, we should just do it together. We yeah. should just go into business together, which was an odd decision because we didn't like each other at all. He didn't think I was good enough yeah, I heard this sister. In your, yeah, in your yeah. Mm, mm. And, um, that's and very, so, that's a very interesting decision. Yeah, well, that's what alcohol does, guys. Clearly, I've made some great ones <laughs> with my dad and then my brother-in-law. Anyway, we decided to do it, and it was a really exciting time. Yeah. We went out and we came up with a new name. We started developing the idea and designing it and building it, and found a little yeah. student web designer and started building it. And and we did it, and we launched it. Like it took us about uh, seven months to build and launch, yeah. and we launched it, and um. And that was this thing, Quaff. That yep. was the very beginning of Vinamofo. Yeah, the Vinamofo journey. Yep. Yeah, and look, four years of trying to, things not working and trying to do other things and running out of money and lots of uh, torturous things later, we did launch Vinamofo. And look, I'll, I'll, I won't, that'll be like a two-hour story, but there's a couple of moments so I think are significant. Podcast. Well, a couple of moments are significant. <laughs> so one, it is hard, like the, that... that Uncapitalized, starting a startup, mm. and I had young kids then, and dragged the family into it. 
and you know, it got to a stage for us. I remember three years in, and nothing had really been working. Um, mm. Three years in, of um, my wife came back from um, the supermarket one day, and just you know, her key card had bounced mm. again. And we were in this cycle of like it was hard and stressful. Well, you know, the phone would ring and it's probably a debt collector because mm. chasing up a reminder notice on something or a credit card bill or the door rings and it might be a summons. And we just, just you just get, I don't know, it's, a lot of people stressful. get to this. And you, you get this, like, get this fear of, like, the world, what, like, you're letting them down and they mm. want money. And I remember that really vividly and she came home and she'd... Um, you know, yet again, the key card had bounced. She'd had to decide to put something back, and she's standing at the yeah. checkout with a one-year-old and a three-year-old crying. Yeah. So it's embarrassing. You're frazzled as a young mum anyway. Yeah, yeah. Having to do that. She just came home and I just, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I want to support you. I love that you're so positive and you want to do something with the world, but when do we, you know, can we, when do we get to say it's not working? Yeah. And you prioritise the security of this family. And she wasn't being unsupported. The opposite. She was just like, oh, I just mm. come on. Do we have a, do we have a time or a measure when we can go? It's not working. We try something else. Mm. How long do we keep going through this? And she was right, and, and I remember that was really. Had really you pivotal. ever? Have you ever? Had you ever thought of that before she had asked you, or? Do you know what? Or um, you just thought no. I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to go until it's something. Yeah, and that wasn't necessarily 100% self-belief or anything it was also lack of options mm-hmm. like I didn't I mean yeah I could have gone and got like a sales job or something mm-hmm. you know which didn't require heavy training but mm-hmm. that's with respect to salespeople, it probably requires more skills than that now but it was yeah. probably a natural talent of mine but I just couldn't bear the thought I wanted to do this I wanted to work and this was um if you count it was the failure of that business as well at that time. This was like number four. Mm, yeah. Like, um, it was failing. I was really starting to weigh down on your, like, your sense of self and your belief in yourself. Yeah. And I remember to the point where I started thinking, God, am I cursed? Like, have I. Yeah. So I remember making an awful decision that I carried for so long in the time in the business with my dad, where mum and dad were divorced and dad hadn't paid mum his super money, you know, mm. which he was meant to. And mm-hmm. I remember we were coming up to Christmas and we had this fragrance that we developed and I was just like, Dad, we just we need to produce this in time for Christmas because we'll sell it out in Christmas mm-hmm. and then we'll make money and this will save us. And I remember him going, and this is like, you know, Dad was making a lot of shitty decisions then, but him going, no, I can't use that money. It's for, for your mother. I was going, yeah, but we'll pay it back to her. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll just, And this is such a cycle that I think a lot of entrepreneurs must just mm-hmm. hear and the people around mm-hmm. them must get dragged into. And I loved my mum, so I wasn't trying to... I just was you so just, convinced we'd yeah, be able to... Yeah, you just believed it so much. And, of that... course, it didn't work. We didn't sell the thing. We ended up with all this stock and mum never got the money. Mm. And, oh, I just carried that with guilt. So I'm there, like, years later just going, God, am I cursed? Like, is this... Mm. I'm meant to be reasonably smart and, and driven and creative. And, you know, I've not been able to make anything work in my life. Yeah. You know? Oh, like, yeah, I had two kids and they were lovely kids, but and beautiful. <laughs> of course, yeah. But I mean, like a business, and yeah. So that's why, anyway, it was that sort of thing. And um, there's another up and down where we had managed to raise a small amount of capital for Quaff, and then he kept us going for a bit and saved us through. But then he'd wanted his money back, and we wanted to give it back to him, and so that got us mm. in the crap. So anyway, we by the time we made the decision to start Vino Mofo. I remember it was Justin's idea. He came back from Christmas going, hey, I've been following the 
growth of Groupon and this group buying oh, yeah. deal site stuff. I think we should do a deal site for wine. And I was like, oh, Jesus, please, no. Mm-hmm. I was just like, just <laughs> my soul is just dying. That is the <laughs> shittiest, most desperate compromise yeah. decision, at, which, of course, we did end up doing. But um, so credit to him. But um, I remember thinking, wow, that's really selling out. Like that is that is low. How are we going to... I just... All of this will have been for nothing if we do that. But he convinced me, you know, that what if we did it? Um, and it wasn't like really shitty wines and it wasn't really shitty sales messages. What, if, what about, you know, what if we didn't compromise? And I was like, well, yeah, all right. Let me. And so I went and thought about that and created mm. what that might look like. And then I started to get excited. I was like, wow, could we really do this? Could we have a wine deal site? That used that mechanism, but only did good wines and only did yeah. had fun with the language and we were honest about what we sold. And anyway, so that was the challenge, and we ended up kind of doing it. And we launched that, and um, I can honestly say, by that stage, we had been juggling supplier debt, and we were probably we were like insolvent and elite. like we were really on the edge of the business shutting down mm. and like only getting by by the strength of Justin's mother holding off debt collection phone calls yeah. and holding your supplies. So I was really, really on the edge, which is not great and not smart. But anyway, it worked straight away. You know, Maffa worked and um day one it worked and day two it worked and it's day amazing. three it worked and it we were like, Oh God. So within like, three months God. channeled <laughs> everything to that and um and yeah, it was it was thing it wasn't like without its hiccups and there's lots of stories there to tell. You know, we ended up um getting under assault from Walrus and Coles and we had to then uh, partner with, which meant selling a majority stake of it to catch the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, that. you know, met Gabby and Hezzy and had that period of adventure and then ended up wanting to buy it back from them. Um, we pulled that off and then had another. It was, anyway, it's been a, it's been a, 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 it a real up and down ride with VMOFO 2. It probably yeah. reads like a much smoother ride with some hiccups, but, um, but it was like full on. But anyway, we managed it and it built to this thing and, um, it was like just at the end when you were thinking when you were thinking about redefining everything that you were going to do that this came up. It was just like thank God that this came at this time. What the you know, Vino Mofo? Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And we had mean, created you, that community as well. Right? We did. We had a community yeah. to to launch it into who did trust us. We built trust um, with them because we weren't selling them anything. We we're just helping them mm-hmm. find wines they love, and we had fun with content, and we mm-hmm. got to know them and connected with them, and it was engaging sort of relationship all around. So that was um, that helped, and then um, but I think the the fact that we we kind of start it was started with purpose. Like we were like, yes, it was wine deal site idea, but then it became because the business before it, Quaff had been about, look, we want to change the way people talk and think about wine. We want no bow ties and bullshit. We yeah. want it just to be real and real people and not and take all the wank out of wine mm. and the, the elitism. And so we decided we would carry that through to Vino Mofo. And because that was a foundation, it was kind of, it had a purpose and it had a brand that stood for something. Yeah. And I think that's why the people liked us and that was the strength of our starting community yeah. and tribe and... um. And that, that, and then we, and we kept that going. So that, um, and that's what that actually sold key. you on the whole idea as well. Yeah, because it was you connecting to that purpose. Yeah, and I look, you know, I don't think it was my life's purpose to change mm. the way people think about mm. wine, but it was certainly something I could believe in. Yeah, you know, it was certainly something that felt more important than creating a wine retail site or a deal site. Um, so that satisfied, mm. you know, this idea that okay, and 
And so it was, it was cool. It was an amazing yeah. adventure. But, you know, after that was 12 years, Justin and I had been in business together. Yeah. And we were, you know, we worked really hard. I'm really proud of how well we worked out a way to function highly together. But it's hard work, and he would say the same thing. Yeah. If you're not really completely aligned, you don't really like each other, and there's the added family stress. But yeah. we had times where yeah. we were really happy and had fun, and it was an amazing venture you share together. But different people, and I think that started to take its time. We just started being like, God, do we have to do this forever together? Yeah. Like, we, does one of us. So we, we talked for quite a while before I left. He, two years before that, had said, I want to leave. I said, all right, I'll do that. And then he said, look, I'm not quite ready to leave, so I'll just look after Global for a bit. Yeah. I said, cool. So that was two years. And then, you know, then he was like, oh, I want to get much back involved. And I was like, ah, don't. and we were both like, do we really want to properly co-CEO again? And, yeah. um, and you know, it was also, I had my family, um, I separated from my wife earlier last year. So it was all, I think it all just became, all it's right. It's all adding up. Yeah. Do we need to really be like mm. partners in life? <laughs> yeah. anymore or have we earned the right to just get on with our own lives yeah. and we both talked quite rationally and maturely as well about um, what we w- would do what we were excited about doing and I think um, I started getting excited about what this might be and mm. it had been for a little while mm. but um, anyway so yeah last year left mm. you know and um, mm-hmm. and started this good empire which was first called cult tribal but it was interesting because it was, I didn't know what I wanted to do as a product. I just was mm. like, I just know we want to change the culture of business mm. for good. Yeah. And so I generally, genuinely got to experience what it was like to have a purpose-founded company because I had nothing but a purpose. Yeah. And I was like, okay, how am I going to do that? Yeah. You know, and um, I started working with organizations to help them transform, find their purpose, like truth in purpose, and then, um, you know, build that into their brand. Uh, to be a brand that stands for something so that then people... And then share those stories that gather so to gather and unite their tribes and their, and build out their vision for the world, not just for themselves, and, and build a culture that... So we started, I started doing that work, and that was... I found really exciting and fulfilling, and I found I was really good at it. Like, it came... Comes I, to you I, I saw the truth, and I was like, oh, yeah. this is all I've learnt. The yeah. Vinanofo is brand and culture. Yeah. Because we were that. We were a brand that stood for something. And yes, it was wine, but people were as um, connected with us through this, uh, the way we thought about wine and this um, democratising wine, you know, not like removing the elitism and this, that we coined the phrase, no bow ties and bullshit. They were as connected with that as they were the good prices yeah. and the thing. Yeah. So I understood that way of business. And I'd also had a time to understand how that works. It's not a data optimization play. It's not an A-B testing play. The people are connected to you at a stronger level than that. So you don't see the big game-changing returns by optimising and tweaking. You see the game-changing returns by going all in on what you, cha- what you stand for and the experience you give people and the relationship you build with them. It was really interesting. It's more of a long-term. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, and um, that was an interesting thing to learn because you're always trying to learn from people doing it really smartly. Yeah. And we constantly, and then you, you grow and you end up getting a CMO in and he brings his yeah. old playbook, yeah. you know. No, oh, this is what we do. They doing. start hiring all these. And he's like, well, this yeah. is not working. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, yeah, because we're not, like, you're not going to move the dial by changing the colour of the click button. Like, people are here for more than that. They're not, yeah. they're not just looking at us up against 12 other people. 
you know. And yes, that started to happen more as more companies started to, you know, have more personality in their brands and other that. Mm. But at the time, it was a really different way, and I, I really came to understand the power of uh, brand, proper branding, and storytelling, and relationships as a way of business. Yeah, with, with your customers and with. And when you start, when you started Cult Tribal, right? Yeah. You said something in another interview, something like you thought you had started this brand agency, yeah. but saying that also gave it an identity and parameters as well and also kind of limited your thinking. And yeah. so it kind of evolved from cult tribal to the good empire. Yeah. So can you talk about um, talk about how that transformation and kind of your thought process when you were starting this new thing? Yeah, look, so I... It started as a definitely more of a brand agency, but with a purpose foundation, right? Yeah. As in the work was purpose founded. So the work I was straight away doing was this is how you create a brand that stands for something. Yeah. And stand for something good and good for the world. And I started immersing myself in that world. And the more I learnt about B Corp and, you know, B Team and uh, stuff, the sustainable development goals and stuff that was going on in the world, not a bunch of charities, but actually this movement of business mm. for good. I was really like, oh wow, this is this is this is a world, and this is powerful, and this is actually what the world needs. And so I started going, what can I? What role can I play? How can I serve mm. this movement? Yeah. What 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 can I offer that's not for the first time uh, time in my life not competitive, mm. but collaborative? Mm. And how can I walk into this world yes. and say, hey, um, I got some skills and some experience <laughs> yeah. and some connections. How do you want to use me? Yeah, you know and that was really, like, it was really life-changing for me because yeah. I we don't often have that attitude no. in business. We're all like, right, I'm in here and I'm competing yeah. with them and them and them. And, you know, um, investors are going, have you done a competitor analysis? Yeah. They're not going, have you done an ecosystem analysis and worked out where you slot in in value and where's the harmony with other mm. and like. So I was so, it was foreign to me and kind of counter-instinctive. Mm. You know, I'm quiet. Uh, I'm a Taurus. Like, I'm quite, mm, mm. quite amused to bashing things down yeah. to, to get somewhere. I like, you know, obstacles. Um, so this was quite lovely for me as well. So it was a real, and, and at a time when everything's changing, you've left this company, that's really like, you're, it's equal part freeing and like... It's really, it's sad as unstabling. well. Unstabling, yeah, yeah, a lot of that. Yeah, And it was, it, was some, it was some, you know, it was quite a friction to the leaving as well. Mm. So that was quite something. Um, and then as well, I was like, brand new out of a marriage it was like mm. so the whole life was like changed but I was so awakened to this world and I felt so pure and free and able to just go uncompromisingly build something mm. so I was sort of like well god I don't want to just be a brand I don't want to be a consultant yeah. you know and, and, yeah. and with again respect so to consultants yeah, but there's just I was an like, identity with what that. can I build so it's taken it took me ages to slowly and it still evolves every day but to find what this was and I'd be doing work with a certain client and that would lead to an idea for a project and mm. a campaign and we'd launch that and that would lead to this mm. connection with this person and then I'd meet such and such and they would teach me this and it just has been this sort of like, wow, never never has the purpose wavered. Mm. But the product and what we might do and where we might best be, that's just been, it's either diverged or it's clunked into place and something simplified. Um, always with an idea that... Um, we wanted to build a platform that was a community and a content platform and a, and a platform of tools to help people be businesses for good. But then I started going, 
but as soon as I had that, the idea for the name Good Empire, so I changed the name because Cult Tribal didn't feel right anymore for the, yeah. what the business was becoming. Yeah. So when I came up with the word Good Empire, suddenly I was like, well, an empire has people, not just businesses. Mm-hmm. So suddenly I was going, where do people fit in this? Mm-hmm. And then I was also like, the more work I was doing, I was like, so I can help people transform, right? And I've got a model for that, and that model's working, and it's good, and it's tight, and it's... And I'd seen some real success stories with the companies I was working for. They were yeah. transforming, and that was working, and the yeah. good things were happening. But I was like, I want to help them tell their stories too. So I was like, now I'm creating a transformation and storytelling platform because yeah. I'm good at storytelling, and, and people are going to need it. And what about if I'm going to tell the stories to people... Like, yes, I could just send those out into the world, but what about if I had this tribe? What about if we had a million or 10 million or 100 million people in the good empire mm. that wanted to know and wanted to connect with these businesses? Yeah. I was like, how do we and do that? And wanted to support them, follow exactly. them. Exactly, because yeah. they were all going to gather around this idea of good for the world yeah. and business for good and planet and people and social and mm. environmental impact. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that's aligning. And I was like, okay, what do we... So started um. And this is really recently, actually. So, yeah, so, and look, I think for me, this was equal parts frustrating to not know exactly what the product was going to be, but equal parts freeing because I'm like, no, this is truly purpose first. Like, this is truly the only rock solid thing about this new thing has been the purpose. And that, I felt that was really important to go mm-hmm. through this. But anyway, it started edging closer. So, I'm, I'm thinking, right, I know it's going to be an empire of businesses for good and good people but I don't want it to be just another B Corp because B Corp's amazing and doesn't need we don't need another B Corp yeah. we need people to know about B Corp so I was like what can is... you explain B Corp please yeah so B Corp mm-hmm. is probably the strongest movement in this business for good right mm-hmm. so three founders oh, I think 13 years ago or something maybe not quite so long maybe it's even less mm-hmm. um, they say that had startup success and they were like we want to do something but not just start another business we want to how, what could we do that would um, help harness business for good to change the world. And so they created a, a set of standards, an assessment that um, measured companies' activities and culture and, and offering and everything they did yeah. in terms of its impact, not only, you know, not profitable, but impact on um, the, social, the social impact mm-hmm. of the company and the environmental impact. And then really started to develop that into strong pillars of diversity and equity and inclusion and um, and and so companies could then, you know, they would take that assessment and invariably fail miserably, but mm-hmm. know what they had to work on and then retake. And then eventually there would be, you know, 80 points out yeah. of 100 or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and they would get accredited as a big corporation. Okay. Which is yep. a benefit corporation, as in for the benefit of the world. Yeah. And, um, and so a few early B Corps started to happen, like Patagonia was mm-hmm. one of the first, you know, who are... You know, you don't buy, a, and this demonstrates this idea that people, um, if you're a brand that stands for something, people connect. You don't, you don't sort of go, will I buy a Patagonia or a Kathmandu yeah. jacket? You go, you know, I'm a Patagonia person. Like, I follow what they do for the planet and I believe in what they do and yeah. I know that all of their supply chain and sourcing is sustainable and I know their workplace practices are beautiful and they've got um, employee ownership. And, yeah. you know, really, it's really benchmark for how to be a good business in terms of meeting those standards, of yeah. mostly with culture yeah. and what you do in the world. And mostly in culture and output, yeah. which is great. And there's now 2,800 B Corps wow, in awesome. the country and all over the world. And, um, and they're, 
there's a, it's a new corporate structure. Like mm-hmm. it's it's in the states, not here in Australia yet, but behind me that. Yeah. But um, so therefore it protects you if you're getting investment or selling or whatever. The structure of the company preserves that the directors have a mandate to deliver on these. That things. is that is awesome. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing movement. They're great, great people, and a great movement. Um, so I didn't don't want to have be that, that. It gets deep. It gets deprioritized. Yeah, 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 yeah. So easily. Well, that's what they found. They found that um, they might nail it. Um, with a founder that cares about this stuff, but then that founder raises capital and yeah. the VC or the private equity firm be like, yeah, that's nice, sorry, we're going to yeah. maximise Then they're returns. reporting into them. Yeah. Yeah. Or they'd sell it or, the, or there'd be a succession or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, so I didn't want to just try and create a competitor to B Corp. I was like, well, what's B Corp's not, um, not really in the business of, um, you know, the, the, all the elements of business. They're just going, meet these standards and we'll give you accreditation and you can market that. Great, good luck. Yeah. So I was like, well, what is that? What does being a business for good mm-hmm. mean with like, um, you know, what about, I was really particularly drawn to purpose, but also branding and that style of marketing that is, so I started working out models and so I started planning to build uh, a new business model, like, you know, called the good business model, which was a, a bit like scaling up was a phenomenal, you know, um, mm. book and model and tools attached to it for being a scale up company, a growth company. And, you know, Lean Startup was a great yeah. canvas for startups. It was a different model of business that yeah. suited a startup. Yeah. I was like, I think we need a new model of business. And it needs to be aligned with B Corp and a few other things, but it's different. So that was sort of in my head. As far as thinking of the platform, I was like, ah. So what I realised through doing the work with, a, you know, 15 clients of finding their truth, like a true purpose. Like a lot of people go, mm. oh, this is our purpose. And it's a, it's a, it's just because a it's, marketing statement. Yeah, it's just because it's up there. That's what's been there. All yeah, and it's, or it's aspirational, but it's mm. not the truth. Mm. So my approach to purpose was really different. It was like, no, there is a truth. There is a, tr- there is a purpose, whether you created, whether you started out with it or not, there is a purpose for this thing in the world. Yeah. And if you choose to make it thus, there is a good purpose for it with everything. You know, like, like if you're a bank, your purpose is, is in the territory of security or of some sort of aspiration of, of, of you know. This, mm. and the more I started working on this and finding and articulating purpose and embedding it in for companies, the more I started to understand it, it always came down to the theme of that purpose, always came down to one of the fundamental human needs. And, you know, which I, I sort of like started looking deeper into Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of needs and I went, well, this is actually, it always comes down to connection or belonging or inclusion yeah. or status or identity or self-actualization in some form. Yeah. And I was really like, um, so I started thinking, oh, I think there's a model here. So yeah, so with that, I was like, right, I want to build a tool that um, helps you find your purpose theme and for organizations and for people and for employees. Yeah. And if we do this, we could map the purpose themes of every organisation, every person in the world or however many choose to do it, right? And with that, if you're a purpose-led organisation, you want to find people and hire people that share are driven by the same purpose. And if you're a purpose-driven person, you want to find an organisation because that's what fulfils you in life, right? If you feel strongly about something in the environment or something in homelessness and you work with somebody that does that or Mm. is aligned with that and that's their purpose too, it's like... That's the path mm. to happiness. A lot of other That's the stuff that like energizes you and lights yeah. you up. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, oh, well, that's a really great tool to yeah. have. So that's what we started 
So, yeah, set out, is it, is set it, out is to it build specifically. Or no, is God it, no. It's, no, it's in no, progress. It's brand new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I was like, that's what we're building as a start. That's the yeah. beginning to bring people together into this tribe, into this empire of good. Yeah. You know, because they will all and help them find their purpose and good purpose, you know. Mm. Like, not just, yeah, my purpose is to get rich. It's not a, you know, yeah, that's status. Some people's purpose. That's status alone, <laughs> but that's not a good purpose. No, the world doesn't need no. more of that. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Find it yourself. Yeah, it's about yeah, bringing yeah. people together that care about good for the world and aligning their purposes. Yeah. So that's a step. That's awesome. So that's one, that's one thing. Yeah. But I also um, I also wanted to bring start this and bring a team together that could do big projects that could change the world. So um, I'll tell you about a project. I've started talking about it, but mm. never this publicly, so I don't First know how many people listen. But um, <laughs> it probably demonstrates an example of what I want to be doing now with Good Empire. So live in Adelaide now, right? So mm. I'm like, oh, okay, if I'm going to be stuck in Adelaide, which is not a bad place, right? It's a cool place. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, okay, I want to do something great in and for Adelaide. So um, so I started, my mind was, so I've been reasonably involved in some capacity with homelessness. So I had some exposure to it for a long time now, 20 years, and involved with Hutt Street Centre, which is a great organisation in Adelaide. Anyway, I sort of had some insight into the complexity of the problem of homelessness. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that struck me was that a great organisation, the big issue, right, but asking someone that suffers, is crippled from social anxieties, among other things, to stand on the street and sell a fucking magazine, which is the most anxiety-inducing job, like mm. you're a street vendor, you're a salesperson, like, on it's the street. It's stressful for... Just Stressful someone who's for not a going great through. confident salesperson. Yes, exactly. Yes. And I was like, God, oh, that's that's a hard job to give out. Yeah. Fantastic idea. Yeah. Great. And business. you know, I never even. I always see them, and I, I help out where I, you know when I see them too. But I never actually empathise to that level to think about actually these guys. This is hard for them to do this too. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and anyway, I was thinking, well, there's probably other jobs that would be wonderful for homeless yeah. people. And um, and that and also I was like Adelaide. It's trying to be like an innovation centre. It's trying to be the innovative city, right? And and I'm like, interesting. Here's the thing about branding, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be true. What you stand for has to be true. Nobody in the world, sorry Adelaide, is going to buy mm. that we're the innovation capital of the world. Yeah. If it's just tech innovation broadly. Now there's some cool stuff happening in tech innovation, mm-hmm. and they're getting the space. The National Space Centre is moving to Adelaide. So some cool stuff in there. But what Adelaide is actually known for, and what is the truth of Adelaide? is it's a great place to live because mm. it's cheaper and there's space and not congestion and the food is good mm. and the produce is good and it's a farming sort of state around it and the wine is good yeah. and it's livable, right? And it's getting known around the world as one of the more livable cities. Yeah. But also they just launched a brand that's called, for Adelaide City called Design for Life. And so I was like, what if Adelaide wasn't just a good place to live but actually the template for, like, the best place to live as in well-being and welfare and social integration and and that sort of thing. Mm. What could we do? Like, you know, take lessons from, you know, Finland and yeah. Norway and go, well, yeah. what could we do with that and get known for that in innovation? And then the third piece of this little pondering of mine was Adelaide also is surrounded by 930 hectares of parklands. Mm. Adelaide's a square city or mm. a rectangle. And all around it are parklands, and they're not used for much at all. Most of them are just grasslands just with some land. trees, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
and some of them are sporting fields, but really 930 hectares. So I was like, all right. So much space, yeah. What about if we transform the parklands into the world's biggest urban community garden and employed the homeless, 6,000 homeless, to garden, to tend wow. these gardens, grow their own food. So I'm not talking about like wow. decorative gardens. I'm talking about veggie gardens, yeah, right? Yeah. Grow their own food, feed themselves, sell the surplus at markets, which feeds the rest of the city with fresh foods, but also use this as, a, as an incubator for leading ag tech and water and sustainable energy and soil nutrients and, and just and plant-based meats and you know just just as a as an incubator for tech based on um, produce and, and farming and, and ag- agriculture yeah. and create like a New York Highline style boardwalk through the whole thing so it draws tourism yeah. and that becomes part education part experiential you've yeah. got like mindfulness gardens yes. and but all of this tended and you're employing Adelaide's have nots yeah and you're not only giving them work and in something where like gardening is is healthy for it's the thera- soul it's therapeutic yeah. and, and, and those that are suffering greatly and, and just can't face the world can garden and be looked yeah. after and those that want to interact can man the markets yeah. and um, and this I think could be a template uh, And but also you're also rather than people walking through a city feeling like the homeless are a burden to society suddenly going to be this hey thank you this is incredible what you guys have done here this is this mm. is beautiful and thank you for all you've done You've transformed the city. I get you, the, the veggies are beautiful. Yeah. Um, this is wonderful. I come here with my family. Suddenly, everyone's going, you know, and for everyone, I just think the whole project will be transformative. And, and if we get it right, it can be a, a template for cities and, so and for has urban this, development. Has this been, have you like briefed this idea in? Like, yeah, start, so I've started talking to a few key oh, people. Oh, okay. And, and, and it's new, right? And, yeah. and started to gather a little bit of momentum. Yeah. So now it's sort of like gathering the right people into a team to pitch this to state government and stuff. So I'm lining the things up. But this is an example of kind of what I want to do ultimately with Good Empire. Yeah. I want, and what's ideal if we've got this purpose theme finder and a whole tribe and our empire of a million people for instance gathered with this and a bunch of organisations you do a project like this and suddenly everyone's like everyone yes, wants to help. Everyone's how can we in. support Yeah, you know yeah. and whether they're rallying under a yeah. petition or whether everyone wants to give a dollar yeah. to fund it, part of a development of it or co-fund it or whether businesses want to, it yeah. just I love this like, idea so much yeah, me too. have you, have you um, are you planning to start talking about it on your socials or anything yet? Or what, what do you... Um, no, I probably will now that I've talked to you about it. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, so the, the pathway for me is to, you know, I've started speaking to Property Development Council. I've got to, you know, I'm just finding all the people that will be positively impacted by this yeah. or might be afraid of it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, talking to SA Tourism because yeah. this could be game-changing for tourism. Yeah, like, like, you know, for sure. Everybody goes, New York does the Highline, and New York's yeah. got a lot to go and see. Yeah. It's still a great thing. And Highline's a project that started from a citizen. It wasn't wow. like, they go, they just went, we're just going to do this. Do you mind if just, all they needed was permission? Permission to start. To redevelop that railway mm. and plant some freaking mm. stuff, you yeah. know, and yeah. paint some murals. And that's how it started, and it just grew, and then got more and more community involvement. I think that could happen with this. Yeah. So I need to line up with a community, uh, a, you know, a great company that know how to do urban community gardening. Yeah. A great company. I was speaking to this amazing woman, Sarah, who's got an events company in Adelaide, and she hires homeless to staff her events. Yeah. So she's 
got the experience of what it takes to look after and protect and yeah. train and you know and so she's really excited about this project so I'm just gathering the pieces mm. to, to to make it happen but the, the then the make or break or not really make or break but the make or setback of it is just the permission from the quasi government or and council committees yeah. that look after the parklands so I can't, I, it's probably going to be just give us like a few acres to beta test this. Mm. Gives a few acres in one season. Yeah. And let's see what we can make out of this, mm. you know. So that would be the part And has anyway, this been right? bubbling in your head for a while, yeah. this idea? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Yeah, How exciting. Bubbling for sort of probably six months. Yeah. I mean, I decided I'd be permanently based in Adelaide. And so if people want to follow this journey and learn more about what you're doing, where's the best place or are you kind of everywhere now? Yeah, with Good Empire, kind of everywhere. Yeah. Just started. Like, I literally, um, <laughs> all right, so I don't know when you're listening to this, but um, around about the middle of August yeah. <laughs> 2019, <laughs> hired my first employee. Oh, congrats. And he's a content guy, David yeah. King. He's awesome. He's a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, and love to talk about that process with you because with regards to culture, what oh, I yes. learned about how I would do the hiring process Um because it was, re- I was mm, really careful. It's on here too. Yep. Great. Um, mm. Anyway, he started, mm. and so he's now gone. All right, Andre, you really suck at social and content. Let's get this <laughs> done properly. Yeah. So he set up all the stuff. Got a podcast and a YouTube channel, and but you know whatever platform you're on, just look up Good Empire or the Good Empire. Yeah. There's sometimes a few iterations, and it's different on each platform. Like sometimes yeah. it's the dot good dot empire. Sometimes not. You'll find okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, it's it'll talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, love it. Yeah. You'll see like little clips of Andre as well. Yeah, but it's so it's so just down. beginning. So yeah. that's kind of yeah. so, it's exciting because you're sort of going well. It's the start of the journey. Yeah, yeah. So I'm loving it. That's awesome. It's very yeah, exciting. Yeah, I'd love to tell you about. So when I was yeah. like, God, okay, because something I experienced the good and bad side of being a mofo was. God, it's hard if you get the wrong people. Yeah, because I was like, going to ask, how hard. do you know? How do you know if they're going to add or detract from? Culture? Well, see, I mean, every we would we would. We would look for cultural fit mm. and with Vino Mofo and we would look for skills, obviously. But um, what we didn't ever look for was like purpose fit mm. and values fit, you know? We look for like kind of culture fit, like brand side yeah. of culture fit. And um, I think so this time I was determined I wanted everyone to be aligned on the purpose. And when you say like brand culture fit, are you talking about like certain personality yeah. types? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like sort of, um, you know, sort of, you know, a vibrant, bit of vibrancy and a bit of youth and a bit yeah. of, um, you know, um, appetite for risk-taking and change yeah. as much as you can assess that because what we also learnt was yeah. that everyone says they're comfortable with change and so few people are because yeah. in a fast-growth environment. Yeah. But anyway, so that when, when you get the right people, it's great. Mm. And when you get the wrong people, it's hard work. Mm. And it's hard for them. Yeah. It's torturous. If you've got someone that isn't comfortable with change and you're a fast-growth, ever-changing company, it's what a nightmare for yeah. them. Like, so unsettling. So I was like, all right, it has to be. But also I found within that time as well, it was, it was really hard to be driving the purpose of the company. There's a lot of people just not aligned with that. I'm like, God. Mm. Like, and, you know, a lot of people that were, yeah. but you really noticed when it wasn't. So I was like, okay, purpose first. So first um, round and few rounds and actually sometimes months with looking at people was is like, this when just, you start? This is what you learn for now. Oh, yeah. for now. This so David only now, started yeah. like last week when we we're recording yeah. this, but yeah. he's gone through a two month process, and someone else that I didn't employ went through a six month process, mm-hmm. and it just started catching up for coffee, mm-hmm. for a wine, mm-hmm. outside not, and just talking about the world, yeah, and who they were and what they valued, and because it, 
these people found me or were recommended to me um, through the content, which is about business for good or about mm. my opinion of things in the world. There was that instant alignment because that's what I was drawn to. So my first lesson was, okay, just start at the beginning of the recruiting process going, this is what we stand for and this is why we're doing it. Yeah. And if this resonates with you, talk to us. Yeah. And then the second phase was, um, you know, obviously talking about then people's capabilities and skills, but also what frustrated them about what mm -hmm. they couldn't do in, in other environments and stuff. So we just got to a stage where that was lined up. Then I got them talking to an incredible friend of mine, Nadia, who worked with us with me and my phone, and she works for Koala and a whole bunch of organisations. Mm -hmm. She's just an incredible, she's a guru and really can help you understand whether someone's going to be good fit for you okay. and if they're in alignment or where they're in ego. Yeah. And not only What's so... What's her background? Uh, Oh, Sounds really like varied. She's a psychologist or something. Yeah, but not, not a trained psychologist, and mm. that's not the way she does stuff. She mm. just is like a – she just understands truth and she sees the truth in okay. people immediately, yeah. like yeah. at an aura level, like yeah. she literally just downstreams and yeah. can feel you straight away. And people know they're getting felt like you sit in yeah. front of her for 10 seconds. Yeah. And people either open up to the or, – or flee because the truth mm. of someone's Because they'll heart. be exposed, yeah. So anyway, I got her on, on video chat with um, with the people I was looking at. And she came back to me the next day going, Did not, they know what she was coming thinking? on? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to ask them. And told them, yeah, told yeah. them what it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, there was a bit of what were you thinking, Andre? This, yeah. this is exactly why this will unravel within three months and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't about not a cultural fit. They all shared the values and the purpose. It was about, no, as personality types, this is not going to work. This person needs this. You need this. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And then I actually got... The few people, the two people that were left down to it, I got them in a room for three hours. I said, all right, we're a startup. Because I was so aware that a startup's so intimate, right? Mm. And you need people that can do lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And are yep. So I was like, I just put on the board, hey, here's the vision. Mm. And here's practically what that means. Here's all the stuff we have to do. Yeah. And I went, and there's three of us here. And that means... It's going to be on the three of us to do it. What are you going to take responsibility for? Because whatever you don't take responsibility for, I have to do. Yeah. So now's your time. Yeah. This is before we employed them. And, um, and we did that, and it took two hours. That's a great approach. It really, and it was a commitment. It was a commitment. It was yeah. like, I'll take responsibility for that. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know that yet, but I'll learn that. Yeah. I said, well, good, because I don't know it either. So yeah. I'd rather you, because I've got plenty on too. So we did that, and then... Um, it was great. The next day, one of the people, she's amazing, and I'd known her for a while, and I thought she was really great. She was like, oh, Andre, it's the hardest phone call. I have to be honest with you. Mm. I can't do this. I'll let you down. Mm. I haven't got it in me. Maybe me, 10 years ago, I could have. But with all that's going on in my life, I had a double mastectomy, you know, last year, and the drugs I'm on still in the recovery of that, yeah. and with my five-year-olds. And I was just like, it always comes down to But I think what was great is the whole process had been so human, she felt permission to be human. Yeah. And she could tell me, you need more than I can give you. And it wasn't, I don't want to do this. I'm scared of it. It's put me off. It was like, I so believe in what you're doing. Mm. I don't want to let you down. Yeah. And I don't want to let myself down. Yeah. I was like, God, that's brave. And everyone so it in was different... down to one. Yeah. It's Dave. Yeah. And he's your content manager now. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, and, and, my, and a bunch of other stuff. But, and <laughs> yeah. sorry to him, I said, look, I want to start you on a one-month contract. Yeah. I don't want to do like a trial and then we have a performance review. Just a contract. Yeah. You're going to start as a contract and then after a month we'll sit down and we'll talk about employment. Yeah. So the tips. I know that sounds cautious, cautious, but I was like, 
I want someone to feel like they've earned it. Yeah. And I don't like not to punish them or prove anything to them so that they get that feeling of fuck I earned this. Yeah. And they get the, the satisfaction of that. And also for them to be able to identify, hey, this is actually for me. Yeah. I really want this or I made a mistake. Because if you go into something full time, often it's really hard to backpedal. Well, it kind of is. Something. And even though even if you feel like it's easy to do, it's you don't often let someone go at the end no. of the trial period. No, you don't. Whereas if you're don't. if you're not having to yeah. decide to go back on something, you're actually having to decide whether you're gonna move forward to employment. Yeah. That's sort of easier. And I think I think it's kinda cool and I think Dave's really he's really embraced it and he's been amazing. So um Content's been it's good kind so of good far. start. Yeah. Well, also more than that, like he's really contributed straight away because, like, to to ideas and product and, you know, it's mm. like kind of a partnership, oh, which is really awesome. nice. Yeah. Because you know? um, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. I'm like, great. I've got someone in here. What do yeah. you think? Yeah. You um, can bounce off someone now. But I think that was a, it was mm. the process. I think I'll start to formalize. And actually, it was um, a process that was put together like. Um, advice to me from uh, Mikey, our ex-head of culture, oh, yeah. Mofa, who's um, awesome. And he was like, he's now doing great things with this company mm. that do this kind of thing. And he was like, here, Andre, here's the stuff you need to consider. I was like, wow, that sounds like a lot to put someone through. Yeah. And he, he was the one that re- reminded me, yeah, but imagine what you feel like when you've had to earn something. You've had to go through six trials mm. of something. And each time it's tested both your conviction and your alignment and yeah. your dedication and your courage that's how you figure out whether someone's got drive and courage and adaptability. Wow. Not by asking them if they do. Yeah. It's actually it's doing great. it, going yeah. through oh, it. Oh, I also yeah. forgot. I also gave them each of them a project yeah. to do in, in between that, um, like a, a one to two-week project. And I, and then we debriefed several times through the project. It wasn't about what giving me free work. I got to observe how they went about the project, what questions did they ask, how much autonomy did they show, I how much creativity. Yeah. And... Um, and nobody said, fuck you, I'm not doing that for free. Mm. They went, great, let me at it, because they knew this was a test. Yeah. But they also knew, great, this is exciting. It's my chance to show what I can do Yeah. rather than just talk about it. Mm, I love that. And that was that. great too, That's yeah. a really good approach. Because sometimes you don't, get, you don't really get much out of the 60-minute behavioural questions that you end up asking someone. When you're actually asking them to do something, that's when you see things. I think mm. as well that length of time that we went through. And look, that's a lot of times, and we had it all the time with Vino Mofa, mm. a lot of times you're there going, God, we just need a such and such, and we need them next week, ideally. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, but yeah. then contract someone. Yeah, yeah You know true, what I mean? Do yeah. some, and don't make promises to the rest of your team yeah. or to them. Just go, hey, we need you straight away. We don't have time to go through what we really need to go through for you to know whether we're a real fit and for us to mm. know whether you're a real fit. So mm. let's just start you on a contract. Yeah. And then if stuff doesn't work out, no worries. But if it does, then we can talk. Yeah. And I think not everyone will go that, for that because some people are looking for more security than that. But if you're looking for more security than that, don't start a startup or a fast growth company. Yeah. Because it's fast. And if you need more security in that, you probably need more comfort and security and structure in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it's probably going to be a terrible environment for you. So it, so when you when you own a business and you have people that you're you're accountable to as well. Yeah. How do you go about kind of buffering them from the stresses of being accountable for a, a successful business or a business that, you know, financially also needs to make money? Yeah, yeah it's hard, right? Because not, not everyone is equipped to 
to be armed with all of that information. You don't want you don't want someone to feel like, oh God, like it is yours to carry as a founder. Mm-hmm. Some people I think you might share it with, and it's, it'd be nice to on that journey. But um, that's a lot. Not everybody is that much of an entrepreneur that they're happy to also live with that financial insecurity of having, mm. you know, such and such. And also it's irresponsible to hire someone. Oh, no, it's hard. It's irresponsible to hire someone if you're really on the edge financially. But what about just um, behaviours and how you, how you are if things are really, if you're in a really hard or tricky situation? Managing your own stress and, yeah. and inflicting that on yes. other people. Yes, because that rubs off so easily, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, what are your... Tips or what have you done to be able to protect a team in those periods? Yeah, probably if you spoke to my people <laughs> in my VMOV team, not great. Um, no, I think Justin and I actually learned? always did a pretty good job of that. Yeah. We always yeah. had each other to sort of go and and then we would rally yeah. up and then out. And, you know, we wouldn't, we would, uh, yes, we would put an effort into projecting that everything was fine mm-hmm. and everything was good and we're, we're doing this. And, and I think that's, you need to do that a bit. Yeah. It's nice to be human. It's nice when someone gives you permission to be human. Yeah. And you're going to have accounts people. And they're going to know the yeah. truth anyway. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think you've got to sort that out. You can't carry that into each day either. It's not effective. It's not enjoyable. You kind of need to find a perspective for it. Yeah. You need to be able to go, all right, yes, these are the pressures we're under. They're not going to go away unless I actually do some good stuff. So I'm just going to, sorry, pressures, I'm just going to put you away for a second. Yeah. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to give myself permission to let go of you, and I'm going to get on with the thing because they don't help you. They don't sharpen you. Yeah, they exactly. They actually just dilute you and stress you out and thin yeah. you out. Yeah. So I think you have to do that for yourself. And it's such a good question. No one's ever asked it. Because um, part of me is sort of going, no, you should be really honest. And, she, and, and part yeah, of me's yeah, because you've got that truth. Part that of me is going, but it's not their burden to bear. It's mm, yours. Mm. You're a founder. If you want it to be their bad burden, give them shares. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, so I know your time is precious. Two more questions. Um, first one, what is what is uh, something people don't know about you or that you normally don't talk about so people would be surprised to hear about you? That normally doesn't come up in these, you know, interviews and more publicly, that you're obviously willing to share? Um, oh, that's so juicy. <laughs> <laughs> the naughty side of me is just going, oh, I could just do that, because that's quite intense. <laughs> but no, no um, you should. What no, 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 no. No one needs to know that. Um, <laughs> Whatever the truth is. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, something about me. All right, I'll tell you a couple of things, because okay. I was just like, Innocent, yeah, kind of, uh, massive tragic Sydney Swans fan. Uh, but that's, oh, that's okay. lame. That's not. Like, that's not what you're asking. Let's go to the juicy ones. <laughs> um, I am 47 and might well have had a 31 year old child, but didn't. That okay, was very, very stressful, juicy. stressful time as a 16 year old. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I often, that is very stressful. I've got two kids. They're 14 and 12. That's a bit more. It's no, but it's, it's more, more thinking about acceptable. 31 year Yeah, I know. I no, come on. I think, gee, that would But it be, didn't, but what no. A different, no, no. no. But what no. a different life that would have been, yeah. Jesus. Anyway, so that's something oh, that's people great. don't know. Yeah, okay, go. yeah. For you. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks for sharing that. That's all right. Um, and the other question is, who is your hero or who are your heroes? 
Okay. Um, heroes is such a good, strong word. Um, Batman is one of them. <laughs> Why? Honestly. Why Batman? I think I, I always was drawn to, even as a kid, just his conviction to go, I just want to make a difference in the world. Mm. I don't have a superpower. Yeah, I'm filthy rich. Mm. But I'm just going to do something about this. Do you see yourself in him? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm I'm not filthy rich. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, and not filthy rich. And, I don't, uh, and I'm scared of heights. So, no, I'm not well equipped for that. Um, but that was always, like a, that, that was always a hero of mine. Yeah. Um, I Look, I really admire... Um, I really admire... Uh, Mike and Scott from Atlassian mm-hmm. and you know met, met a few times and, and, and think just I admire that they have in a big company a fast growth company they're smart but they just have invested in culture first and they really kind of lead the world I think in culture in many ways wow. yeah. I have real hero worship for the guys that started B Corp because yeah. I've read this story and it's a beautiful brave story I have to read their story yeah yeah and it's a great movement um I, my chairman and mentor and part shareholder of Good Empire is a guy named Paul Edgerton, who's yeah. um, CEO of a great not-for-profit for kids, and I think he's a really good man. Yeah. And um, has dedicated the last 18 years of his life to being a good man. So I really admire him and get to work closely with yeah. him, so that's sort of a nice sort of thing, um, relationship. Uh, yeah, they're probably, they're probably people it. I would say... Yeah. I admire the most. I've sort of really switched from, I guess when, when I was a, you know, with being in my phone, you're sort of a growth company or trying to be a tech company or a startup or whatever. You sort of, uh, I, I really admire Elon Musk. I know that's pretty mm. cheesy and people do, but I, again, I've read into his story and he's got a great biography. Mm. And I admire not the man, I don't know the man, but I don't admire yeah. what I know of the man. Mm-hmm. But I admire his brain and his conviction and his creativity mm. and his uncompromising vision. And I think that's phenomenal. But now I think in this world and thinking, I mean, I don't sort of sit there and go, God, I really think the guys at Google are the most incredible. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. are, but more now I'm sort of going, yeah. God, these people that are doing, like the founder of Chobani Yoga, like a magnificent yeah. story. Yeah. That's to me yeah. truly admirable yeah. just to create a culture and, a, and an ecosystem around what you do that is just good for all and selfless and know that there's enough satisfaction being getting, getting to lead that mm. rather than owning and bossing that. I think mm. it's just amazing. So I really admire those people. I'm learning more about those kind of people mm. all the time. Yeah. I admire, you know, a meeting earlier today with the guys at... Um, at Small Giants, which is a family thing that have created Impact Investment Group, and oh, just remind me of the book Small right. Giants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's what um, that's what they created their family oh. um, family trust name in. But they have created this entire thing and culture where, and lots of their money, um, just devoted to business for good and investing in and nurturing, yeah. and and that's happening a lot. Like Radic uh, from this place, from Swiss Vitamins, he started Light Warrior, and I just am, I think I'm. Hero worshipping people that have gone. I just want to do, do something good, do good something for good. the world, and not not necessarily like I'm going to start another charity, even though that's wonderful, tireless work. Mm. Really, just going. No, we need to we need to develop an industry 
Mm. We need to be able to cool. do it in the work that we're already doing. Yeah, and harness yeah. business for good for that. I think yeah. it's really, really inspiring. Love it. Oh, that yeah. was it. Thank you so much. God, that was so long. Sorry. No, it was great. <laughs> no, it was good. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Behind the Bee Box. My journey with Brainy Box has inspired me to share what I've learned from others with you in the hope it makes a positive difference to your life, business, or workplace. Your feedback and love is what keeps me going. So please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Brainy Box or connect with me on LinkedIn at Sherry Amami. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Have a wonderful week and I'll speak to you soon.